October 25th, 2018. This is the Hermetic Hour, and I am your host, Poke Runyon. And tonight we present a discussion on the late medieval astrologer-magician Chico Discoli, who was burned at the stake by the Inquisition in the year 1327 A.D. for publishing books connecting astrology with magic, necromancy, and demonology. In several ways, he presaged the sad career of Giordano Bruno, who went to the stake 273 years later in 1600 for a similar offense. Checo expounded his magic on a geocentric universe model, whereas Bruno paganized or demonized a later Copernican universe. Checo Dioscoli may be considered the father of Solomonic ceremonial mirror magic. One of his most heretical revelations was a description of summoning, evoking the demon Floron, F-L-O-R-O-N, in a mirror of polished steel. Floron had fallen from the order of the cherubim and served under the Goetic king of Ammon. Such a mirror was described in Picatrix, and later depictions of it revealed that it was in fact a hand mirror. After Checo's execution, magicians no longer wrote of magic mirrors, but their use continued until the present day. We will draw primarily from Lynn Thorndike's History of Magic and Experimental Science, Volume 2, 1923, with uh, current material from Christopher Warnock. So, if you want to find out where this dark mirror magic got started, stay with us and we'll pull another Italian magus out of the fire. Now, Checo di Scoli, 1257-1327, was the first university professor to be executed by the Inquisition back in 1327 the end of the Middle Ages, and is thus considered an early martyr to science, as was Giordano Bruno 273 years later. Now, both of these scholars were actually hermetic astrologer magicians, not scientists in the modern sense of the word. Checo was executed in the 14th century for publishing heretical theories based on the universe model as defined uh, in the sphere of Sacrobosco, which was essentially Dante's geocentric configuration, whereas Bruno was barbecued at the beginning of the 17th century on similar charges using the Copernican model. Now, he was also hailed as a martyr to science. Now, we have already dealt with Giordano Bruno in a previous review of Francis Yates' 1964 Giordano Bruno and the Hermetic Tradition two weeks ago. So, let us now go back to the early dawn of the Renaissance and consult Lynn Thorndike's 1923 essay on Checo Scoli from volume two of his monumental eight-volume work, A History of Magic and Experimental Science. And by the way, this is one of the first items I acquired from my library back when I started building my library after I, after I discovered the secret of, of uh, Renaissance mirror magic. It was this eight-volume set of the history of magic and experimental science. Uh, 
Now, Checo was a professor of astrology at the University of Bologna in Italy in 1322. Now, he knew the poet Dante, whose work became sanctified by the Roman Church, and Checo published a similar poem himself, which some of his critics considered a heretical parody of Dante's Divine Comedy. But the main heretical charges against Checo arose out of his commentary on the sphere of Sacrobosco. Now, um, because this, sac- this sphere of Sacrobosco is so important, I'm going to read a little. I want to read a little description of it from uh, from Christopher Warnock's uh, uh, Renaissance Astrology website. The sphere of Sacrobosco was a very popular medieval and Renaissance textbook on Ptolemaic astronomy composed by an English astrologer, astronomer, and mathematician, John of Sacrobosco in the 13th century. And since the geocentric uh, Ptolemaic astronomy was the basis of traditional astrology, the sphere of Sacrobosco was a key introductory text for astrologers covering the basics of celestial circles, poles, meridians, ecliptic, of the zodiac, and the signs, and the movement of the planets. Now, one interesting aside for moderns is the various proofs that the Earth is a sphere, which was well known to the ancients and medieval worlds, despite the self-flattering modern flat Earth myth. The sphere of Sacrobosco circulated widely in manuscript and attracted many commentators. Among them was Cecco de Ascoli, the 14th century Italian poet, physician, and astrologer. Cecco wrote what has been described as a necromantic commentary on the sphere of Sacrobosco because of its frequent his his frequent references to magic magical works and spirits his commentary also includes interpretations of the natal chart of Jesus all of these were dangerous subjects and Checo was arrested by the inquisition and burned as a heretic in 1327 the portion of Checo's commentary Translated below discusses various divisions related to arcs, arcs and, the, and the signs of the zodiac. Checo explains how different divisions of the zodiac are used for astrology and for magic. Now we're not we're gonna we're not gonna get into that because that 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 part of. However, for those of you who are interested, go to uh, Christopher Warnock's Renaissance Astrology website and you can read all about the arcs and and, and all and, and and you can see also. You can see reproductions of Checo's images uh, of the signs of the zodiac, uh, which Christopher Warnock has. Now, um, the sphere, as we said, was was popular in the 13th century astronomical astrological textbook based on the geocentric model used in Ptolemaic astrology and astronomy, from which hermetic and Kabbalistic configurations such as the tree of life were derived. And as we have noted, Giordano Bruno later advanced these hermetic configurations to the Copernican model. Now, Checo made two big mistakes in his commentary on the sphere. He presumed to cast a natal horoscope for Jesus Christ, 
and suggested that his divinity was determined by planetary, in effect, demonic configurations. And his second mistake was describing a magic mirror which could summon a goetic demon named Flora, from which he claimed to have received revelations. And even after Checo's execution, along with all the copies of his books being burned along with him, the mirror of Floron went on to become standard equipment for Renaissance ceremonial magicians, even though they were afraid to write about it. Anyone possessing a book by Checo de Ascoli was subject to excommunication, and anyone perpetuating his writings would be suspect. The demonizing of the magic mirror persisted even after the Reformation. Crystals were acceptable for angelic visionary use, but mirrors were considered evil. Many modern scholars and practitioners of magic seem to ignore this and even suggest that mirrors were not used in ceremonial magic. Although recently, 17th century manuscripts from Central Europe have come to light, which document the continued use of Cecco de Ascoli's Mirror of Floron. <laughs> At this point, I'm going to pick up Lynn Thorndike's um, first volume. is about a thousand pages long, and uh, I'm going to pick it up and, and we're going to we're going to read from uh, read the master's from the master's essay on Checo Disco. And we'll read the whole thing uh, because it, it goes on for for about forty pages, but but. Uh, we will read the pertinent parts about the, the mirror of Floron, especially what we're talking about. Okay. This is this is Lynn Thorndike. The fact, however, that the church disapproves of magic and vituperates it does not restrain Checo from frequent citation of books of magic, such as Liber Artis Magica of, of Apollonius, nor from re, uh, retail, retailing to his students much information concerning spirits in the sky and necromancy. Thus, when Sacrobosco mentions the four points of the compass, Checo is reminded of a statement in the Liber de Ordine Intelligentorium of Parcus that certain princes of the demons occupy the four parts beneath the sky. For, uh, for expelled from heaven, they occupy the air and the four elements. When Sacrobosco speaks of the zenith and poles in a purely astronomical way, Checo again quotes uh, Hipparchus as saying, Oh, wonderful zenith and godlike nature, etc., after the manner of an invocation, and Solomon in the liber de umbris idearum, as exclaiming, Oh, Arctic manna, so Antarctic's propelled by divinity, why do natures so great and noble seem to be enclosed in mineral species? This last remark, Checo explains, refers to the responses given by these spirits in metal mirrors. When Sacrobosco uh, treats of climates, Checo remarks that the word may be understood necromatically as well as astronomically. Zoroaster, the inventor of the magic art, according to Checo, uses the word in the necromatic sense when he says, for those climates are to be marveled at which 
flesh of corpses and human blood give responses trustworthily. By this, continues Treko, stand these four spirits of great virtue who stand in crucitatis locus, that is, in the east, the west, the north, and the south, whose names are Orions, Amaman, Paman, and Agim, spirits who are of the major hierarchy and who have under them 25 legions of spirits each. This is beginning to sound a lot like the Goetia. Therefore, because of their noble nature, these seek sacrifice from human blood and likewise from the flesh of a dead man or a cat. But this Zoroastrian art cannot be carried on without great peril, lasting prayers, and all things which are contrary to our our faith. He's trying to cover himself there. This last word of warning may seem a bit belated and perhaps somewhat perfunctory, but it shows that Checo was still consistent in recognizing that magic and necromancy are contrary to the Christian religion. In other passages, he calls these spirits demons and diabolical and affirms uh, with Augustine that spirits who are outside the order of grace cannot truly transmute bodies nor raise the dead nor do any marvels and feats of magic except those which can be accounted for by the occult virtues of nature. And in speaking of a demon named Floron, who was mentioned by Solomon in the Book of the Shadows of Ideas. God, I'd love to have a copy of that. Who was of the hierarchy of the cherubim, who was confined in a steel mirror by a major invocation, who knew many secrets of nature and who deceived King Manfred and others by ambiguous oracles in modern times. Chekhov concludes... So beware of these demons because their ultimate intention is to deceive Christians and to the discredit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Checo tells a story of a man of Ferrara who consulted this demon, Floron, as to hidden treasure and was told that he would find enough in a certain spot to last him for the rest of his life. He dug in the cavern, indicated and uncovered only four ounces of gold, but as an avalanche crushed him immediately afterward, the oracle was fulfilled. Yet on the next page, we find Jekyll already mentioned for making an astronomical image in order to obtain responses from a spirit. And several pages further on, he cites a response from this same Floron, as to the time when demons are best liable to deceive one and when, as a consequence, it is best to consult them. And again, as to the divinity of Christ, of whom this demon Floron said, he took upon him human flesh, that all flesh through him might be saved. The church didn't care for that very much. They didn't like the idea of, uh, of, of equating uh, Jesus' incarnation with demonology, and uh, that was one of the reasons. Uh, I might add, before we, before we leave uh, Thorndike, that, um, that a lot of this, 
demonology and uh, and, and all that, that Chucko put in, in in his commentary on the sphere was really not that 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 wasn't enough really to burn him at the stake. Uh, but he had an enemy. He made an enemy. Uh, he uh, he. Uh, was a patron, and as an astrologer, he was a patron of, of a uh, Florentine nobleman by the name of uh, of uh, Viliani, and uh, and and he cast he cast the naval horoscope naval horoscope uh, natal horoscopes for for Viliani, and Viliani didn't like him, and and so Viliani became became an enemy of of, of Sacco, and uh, Viliani may have bribed. The Inquisition and uh, and brought and helped bring the charges against uh, against Chick. At least that that uh, Thorndike kind of indicates that that may have happened. So uh, in this case, the Inquisition was was serving a, uh, a serving a secular power, which which you know they they were they were as we know very corrupt. Anyway, um, what I want to what I would like to do at this point. Is uh, is uh, going and uh, to the to the section in Thorndike, which discusses uh, the mirror of of of, of Floron directly, and uh, let me see if I can find it here. We already covered this. Um, it's confined to a steel mirror by by a major invocation to the many secrets of nature. Now, this quite obviously the source, Checo's source for this was Picatrix. Now, uh, Thorndike has a whole section on Picatrix, um, but he doesn't mention that that that. Uh, and it was one of Chekhov's sources, but it must have been, because Picatrix uh, was uh, first uh, was first published in Latin. Well, I say published; it was transcribed in several copies in Latin uh, in Spain uh, in the year 1256, which was which was you know half half a century before Chekhov, and so there were plenty of copies of Picatrix in Latin circulating. Uh, circulating around Europe by the time Checo got going. Now, Picatrix is obviously, as I say, is obviously a source uh, for Checo, and it's also uh, a source for for the Mirror of Floron. Now, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Picatrix, uh, it's it, it's an astrological ast- astronomical grimoire that was compiled by the Arabs. Uh, and it's called the it's, it's 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 called the wisdom of the sages, and and uh, and it was the the, uh, uh, the Latin version is referred to as Picatrix. Nobody knows quite why they call it Picatrix, but but that that, that that's what the that's what the European Latin version is called. Uh, anyway, uh, what uh, this this 
Vicatrix is about as close to a Necronomicon if you, uh, as you're going to want to come. In fact, some people think that, that Lovecraft may have based his idea of the Necronomicon on Picatrix. It was uh, it was originally compiled in the, in the ninth century by by the Arabs, and it contains a, uh, a great deal of of, um, of astrological necromancy. Now, and including uh, instructions for ceremonial magic. Now. The mirror. The mirror does definitely derive from Picatrix. I'll, I'll read. Uh, I'll read from Picatrix on the mirror. Take pure steel, that is the iron from Andanica, which is a town where they 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 mine a lot of iron, and make it make of it a highly polished mirror. Go toward the clouds, carrying the mirror in your hands and raising it toward the clouds, shouting in a loud voice, and the tempests will depart from the place. In a certain book edited by Gerber, the sage, concerning tempests and other things, we found this written. Make a mirror of gold or gilt silver and sublimate it with the hair from a woman's chest. I think you're a little high on that. Which you moisten with your semen, and then sublimate it with uh, with threads from her garments. This sounds an awful an awful lot like Tinky Fetish 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 stuff. After you have washed yourself, look into it, and you will make her image appear in the mirror, followed immediately by yours and at first yours and then hers. This experiment is something that Ptolemy of Babylon said, and three sages from India founded in Egypt, and they proved that this mirror ought to be made when the moon is in conjunction with Jupiter and gilded or furbished when the moon is with Venus. But I wish to tell you the composition of the mirror and how it is to be worked and kept for this reason that all the nature of humanity enters into it. Temper the mirror with live and natural blood, and then subfumigate it, and then write on it the names of the seven stars, their seven symbols, and the names of the seven angels and seven winds. Now the names of the seven stars are these, Zohal, Mustele, Marek, Zenez, Zohara, Otarid, Alkamar, and these figures are written in a circle around the outer edge. And we have a, a series of very interesting-looking sigils. And they are in a ring. Next are written within a polished and gilded circle the names of these seven angels. Kaptiel, Sakwiel, Samiel, Raphael, Haniel, Mikael, and Gabriel. And when this is done, the names of the seven winds are written on the on, on the unpolished part. And these are the powers of the winds, of whom the names are these. Barakia, Papel, Almuda, Hamar, Benabis, Zoba, Manarak. Fide Arak, Samores, Maimon, Aksabi. 
Then suspend the mirror for seven days in silk above water and suffumigate it, and let it be suspended from the red staff. For three nights, suffumigate it with good odors, the best may be found in the book of Moses. And if you gaze into the mirror and keep it well, you will see in it, you will, it will gather men, winds, spirits, demons, the dead, and the living, and all will obey you and be at your command. Do your work in this manner. The fumigation is of the seven things proper to man, that is blood, semen, spittle, earwax, and tears of the eyes, feces, and urine. So fumigate with this and instruct the winds as you wish, and they will do your will. Keep this, and you will experience all that I have said to you, for you will have the power of the winds, men, and demons, and they will come obediently to you. Do this over a basin of water or over some other clean vessel full of water, and you will behold this, and it will be fulfilled as you have asked. And by the way, those of you who want to dabble with this, um, this is from that, that same Latin Picatrix that Checo must have consulted, and that also Agrippa consulted, and and, uh, and you know, and and Pacino, and all of the old boys. They all they all had a copy of Picatrix, um, and Merlin would have had one if he'd been around at that time. Uh, now, uh, if you want to get if you want to get your own copy of Picatrix, you just. Uh, just go on Amazon and and and, uh, and 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 pick a tricks and you'll find several different versions of it. But get the Latin one, get the one that's, trans, that's translated by uh, by Michael Greer and Christopher Mornock. That's the best, and that's the one. I know there's one from the Arabic also, directly from the Arabic. And years ago, uh, we published uh, some some material. Uh, from the, the Arabic, translated some material from the German version of the Arabic into uh, our, our journal, The Seventh Ray. But but the Latin version of Picatrix, the one that, uh, that, that Christopher Warnock and John Michael Greer uh, did, that Latin version is the one that the medieval magicians like Agrippa, like Checo, Bruno, and the rest of them used. That, that, it, it, that's, it's the Latin one. And so uh, that's the one I would suggest. Now, we also mentioned that that the mirror of Floron survived. It survived on into uh, on, on, even though uh, even though Checo was burned at the stake, and all the copies of of, uh, of the commentary on on the sphere were piled up and burned with him. The ones they could they could confiscate and find and the ones that hadn't been sold yet from the book uh, booksellers. But they also, the Inquisition also came out with, uh, with an order, with a, with a um, kind of like, a, kinda like a, a Muslim fatwa, that anybody who possessed a book by Checo after his execution, if you even possessed a book by Checo, you were subject to excommunication. And uh, and even though and even though of course uh, this was this was uh, uh, even after the Reformation this this prohibition against uh, against primarily against the magic mirror in Chico's work continued so magicians were really kind of afraid of mentioning the mirror 
they were afraid of mentioning it in their in their in their books, and uh, and uh, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that, uh, that Rudd, that Thomas Rudd, used a mirror. I, I'm virtually certain he did, but he but he didn't mention it. He mentions he 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 mentions crystals and and, and all that he has and, and he uses a triangle and whatever, but but. You won't find a mention of a magic mirror in 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 uh, in, in in Thomas Rudd's uh, uh, in, in work, especially in his Goetia. Now, did the mirror of Floron continue to be used? Yes, it did, and uh, and it uh, uh, we have uh, we have proof of that. Um, back in. Uh, Back in 1997, Richard Kiekeifer, uh, a professor at the uh, at Penn State University, uh, published a book called Forbidden Rites. And this is subtitled The Necromancer's Manual from the 15th Century uh, in Germany. So, uh, uh, and, and then, of course, <laughs> uh, a lot of what he published was in Latin, which... And of course, he put. Uh, I, I kind of criticize him a little bit. He says he put a title "Forbidden Rights" on uh, on the book, which of course naturally means that pr- the practitioners are going to be attracted to it. People who are, you know, interested in in, in that kind of magic, and 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 in in, in 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 people who are really interested in forbidden rights are going to are going to want to buy it. But they're not going to want that. They're not going to want to want to read it in Latin, and especially Latin. It's based on a German grammar. This is one of the things, and one of the sad things about you know, Latin and Greek. It was wonderful that Latin was a universal language, uh, especially the universal language of scholars and students back in the in Renaissance times and all the way up through the Baroque and all the way up, actually almost 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 up to modern times, almost up to the Industrial Revolution. Latin was the, was the academic language. You could go to any university in the Western world. And all the lectures were given in Latin, and the books and your textbooks were in Latin, and so it really was a universal language. Uh, but uh, when the rise of nationalism, uh, with the rise of nationalism in Europe, uh, the, the Latin uh, fell out of use. And uh, so anyway, anyway, as I say, but the problem with with this Latin uh, all over Europe was that each in each country, in each country. The people wrote their Latin with the grammar of the language of the country. So if you if you didn't have a Romance language, your Latin would be awfully hard to read for a person who wasn't used to the grammar of your language. So actually, uh, the the English Latin version of Picatrix, which I have uh, I, I have translated a little bit of. Uh, was fairly easy because it's based on an English grammar. Uh, and and but but good lord, imagine a German, imagine a German uh, grammar. So uh, so anyway, however, Kiefer was nice enough to translate some of the some of the sections uh, on uh, and and comment and comment on some of the sections involving the material we're interested in, and especially um, we have. Uh, we have a chapter called Experiments Involving Mirrors, which I'm going to read. 
In his account of scrying with a steel mirror, Johannes Hartlieb says, I have seen masters who maintain they can prepare mirrors such that any man or woman can see in them what they will. He also says that other reflecting surfaces can be used. There are even priests who will use the very pattern that serves at mass to hold the host. They believe, falsely adds Hartley, that only angels and not demons can appear on such consecrated objects. One might suppose that a mirror could make an ideal tool for divination that requires concentration on a reflective surface because mirrors are designed specifically for reflection. A modern mirror, however, might be distinctly inappropriate for this purpose precisely because it reflects too well and too realistically, giving too little scope to imaginative play and the power of suggestion. Perhaps the mirrors used in divinatory experiments were less polished, but at least in some cases the magician is instructed to use a polished mirror. We must assume that the point was not for the child medium who gazed into the mirror to focus closely on his own face, but to use the mirror as a means of perceiving more numinous revelations. To be sure, there are cultures in which the spectator's own face reflected in a mirror becomes a point of reference for the visionary encounter. After staring for hours at one's own reflection, one may identify one's face with that of an ancestor, or or he may perceive it as a manifestation of one's own true inner or archetypal self. I'm going to interrupt for a minute here. I disagree with Kikaifer on this because uh, it only takes ten minutes using the using the the uh, the, the, trans, the transformation of the face in in the dim light used in ceremonial magic, the candlelight. It only takes ten. It only takes ten minutes with the magus behind the behind the receiver conjuring to to get your transformation of the face. And um, and uh, I think he knows this by now. But 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 when he wrote it, he wasn't aware of it. Uh, it is true that there are that there are uh, cultures in which they they do this uh, this for the vision of previous incarnations, and then in West Africa they uh, that that that's that, that the Hindus use it for uh, previous uh, for previous incarnations, and the West Africans use it for the conjuring visions of their ancestors, and uh, the, of course we use it for conjuring um, for conjuring goetic spirits. And in the uh, in the Munich manuscript, however, there is no suggestion that the medium's own uh, realistic image plays any role, whatever. And um, now the handbook contains five such experiments: two versions of the mirror of Floron, the first mirror of Lilith and two others. The Mirror of Floron is the first version and may serve as a useful introduction to these experiments. Have a mirror made, now he's quoting from the, from the manuscript, have a mirror made of pure steel measuring one palm around with a handle for holding it. 
and have it bright and shining like a like a sword, and have it made in the in the name of Floron, and around the rim of the mirror, on the part that is not polished, have the ten names, and these are the ones he gives: Laternoi, uh, Isarian, Eco. Danmaus, Gromun, Zara, Rakal, Sigtonia, Sama, and many Glassar. Inscribed with ten characters with the name of the aforesaid spirit, Floron, written in the middle. And after it's been laid, it should be anointed with pure and bright balsam and fumigated with aloes, ambergris, myrrh, and white frankincense. When this has been done, the manner of this work um, should sit that the make the master. When this is done, the master of this work should sit and have this mirror <coughs> held in the hands of a virgin boy before his chest. The master himself should be bathed and dressed in clean garments. Before he begins to exercise this work, he should sprinkle the air with honey, milk, wine, mixed together in equal proportion, while saying, Oh, Floron, respond quickly in the mirror as you are accustomed to appear. When he has said this, he should read this conjuration before the mirror. And I'm not, this conjuration goes on and on for, for a couple of paragraphs, it's, and it's basically... It's it's basically barbarous names. It's not like an Okian. It's this this is this is barbarous names like the Grimoria of Honorius and there um, I read if I read a little bit of it. Bisneve, Arate, Mem, Lismisa, Gasim, Gisim, Galasim. That's the basically Glossolalia. It's not uh, it, it's not it has no syntax or grammar. Uh but anyway when he's done with it, when he has recited this conjuration the master should look at the mirror, and he will see an armed knight seated on, seated on a horse, and his squire accompanying him. The knight will dismount from the horse, and his squire will hold the horse. He will greet the knight with the words, Desperia decente visilabergricamio. And then the master may ask him about past, present, and future things. And he will at once give a full response in writing. This should not seem unbelievable to you, whoever may execute this work, for when you have carried out these things nine times, the same spirit will clearly reveal face-to-face orally all things which previously he indicated in writing. And so, when you have completed everything according to your will, command this spirit, to withdraw in peace and return according to the command of his master when he was summoned. Now, the second version of the mirror of Florham adds certain details. The mirror should be made in the first hour on Friday under the waxing moon. The sculptor or workman must be chased for nine days beforehand, must be bathed, and must, must wear clean clothes. The words in which the master conjures the spirit are identified implausibly as Chaldean, the master greeting the knight uh, as Parate in Silitio Chaitroman. 
think that's German Latin, which approximates an obviously meaningful statement, even less than the greeting uh, in the first version. And the knight who has at first answered questions in writing will answer at uh, night and orally throughout the day, revealing all things beneath the moon. Now, I want to make a, an observation here. Talking about uh, the spirit not only uh, revealing but writing. Now, if you're using a medium, well, he says a 12-year-old boy holding holding the mirror. Now, remember, the mirror of Floron is a, is a hand mirror. It's got a handle on it. And so the kid holds this thing up in front of his chest with both hands, and and the uh, and the the operator, the the magician, is supposed to look into it. Now, uh, is supposed to see the visions in the mirror, but the voice, the voice of the night, in this case, uh, the voice of the spirit that appears in the mirror, whatever then the spirit is, should probably. If the kid is the medium, should probably come out of the kid's mouth, and it should be, you know, should come out of his, uh, out of his, out of his subconscious, and and um, as far as writing is concerned, now this is something that 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 <laughs> a lot of people, especially credulous individuals, don't understand. Uh, you, the, the magician has a, a liber spiritum, a spirit book. And and the the spirit is supposed to sign the book and give you his sigil, and then sign the book, and and uh, then then you can then you can call him again using that name and sigil, okay, and that signature. Now the way that works, the way it really works, is that the magician or the medium, one or the other, the magician or the receiver, uh, whichever one is receiving the vision, gives their hand to the spirit. And the spirit then takes their hand and just the same way as he would take their voice and speak through through their subconscious, uh, they would take the hand and write in the book. And that's the way it that's the way it works and that's the way it's done. But because magicians didn't didn't want to actually reveal that, they they said the spirit will write the spirit will, will will sign your book and, and, and give you a sigil. But they didn't want to tell you that, that, that they were giving the spirit their hand to do it. Uh, but that's what they actually did do. Now, I, and, and, I, and if I, I know somebody's going to disagree with me on that. There are some credulous people out there uh, who, uh, uh, who, who actually think that these spirits physically appear and do all these things, including signing, coming over to your to your work table and signing your book for you and all of that. Well, maybe that happens for them, um, and I think they've got the same problem that, uh, that John Nash had, if you remember seeing A Dangerous Mind. Uh, and and, uh, and my, my answer to that is, is if they, if they do that, then, then, you'd better be, then you'd better be as good an exorcist as John Nash became. Because that's the way he was able to continue as to continue as a professor at Princeton was was becoming his own exorcist, so he could so he could banish these uh, these these people, and you better be able to do that because uh, and and the way the proper way to do it, as I said, is either you or if you're using a medium, and I know some magicians who do use mediums uh, because they can't do it themselves. Um, you let the medium have 
uh, have the pen and, and let them sign the book. Let the spirit sign the book, and let them let the spirit speak to you through their voice, and uh, and then then you can then you can see the vision in the mirror, uh, or if you have the medium looking at the mirror, the medium will see the vision and speak and write. That's the way it's really done. That's the way it always has been done, and. Uh, but as I say, there are some people who don't believe that. But, the, but that 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 that's it. That's the way it's done. Now, the first mirror of Lilith, spelled Lilith or L-Y-L-E-T, is dedicated to this ancient Hebrew demon and her followers and her knights. And although the text seems to slip into calling the spirit Lilith before the experiment is over, the master commands these demons to appear in non-threatening form, and answer questions. The mirror itself can be made in the form of a shield, but need not be, and the master prays to Lilith to come in her own appearance, not in that of ravens conjuring her, to sit with him wherever the master wants, and she will appear in a mirror with two or more servants and will tell the truth or give appropriate signs regarding a theft, murder, or other circumstances. Now, so as we see, Seco's Seco's magic mirror, the mirror of Floron, not only survived and I believe inspired the the lesser key of Solomon's book, the Croatia, which uh, which we've used for years and years. Uh, I think it inspired that, but it also it inspired uh, numerous uh, Renaissance and later and later uh, Baroque magicians uh, to to uh, use these mirrors. And the mirror of Floron uh, was eventually mounted in the triangle. And uh, instead of being held by, and you know, if you if you mount the, the mirror in the triangle, either your receiver, your medium, or the magician himself, because you can do this, a magician can do this himself or herself. You can you can uh, you can sit before that that uh, that mirror yourself. You don't have to. You do not have to to have to use a medium uh, if you're properly trained. Uh, you can, and so. We owe a lot of this to to, to Checo de Ascoli, I think, uh, and and uh, um, as they say, he he was uh, he was a, a hermetic martyr, not a not a scientific martyr. He was definitely uh, definitely a martyr to our tradition, not so much not so much to science. And uh, and I strongly recommend, as I said, I did. It, it, um, uh, I think uh, I think um, Richard Keekhuyver's Forbidden Rights is, is is a good book to have, but but I think for those of you who are really interested, get a copy of Picatrix. This this is really the this is the source of so much Solomonic magic comes from comes from Picatrix, and astrological magic comes from Picatrix, and I and. And as I say, um, um, John Michael Greer's translation is is very very good, and uh, and so uh, and so we have uh, 
filled out uh, our study of martyred Italian magi. You know, two weeks ago we did Giordano Bruno, and and we hardly, hardly recommended Francis Yates' uh, wonderful 1964 book, uh, Giordano Bruno and Hermetic Tradition. So uh, if you enjoyed this show, and and, uh, you might want to go back, uh, you know, go in our archives and go back uh, uh, two weeks ago and listen to the Giordano Bruno show. You'll find it, uh, it, you know, it's Seco and Checo and and, 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 uh, and Giordano, uh, although separated by by almost 300 years. They they still had a lot in common. And so that uh, that concludes uh, tonight's show. uh, tonight's Hermetic Adventure, and uh, we'll see you next week. And and until then, good magic.